Romans chapter 13, and just have that open before you. You know, if, if, if I stop praying, both personally at home or collectively with you guys on Friday night or all-nighters, my life will very quickly fall apart. And if you stop praying, your life also will very quickly fall apart. And we spent a few weeks looking at that and looking at how important that is. Then we moved on to the, 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 the core nature of discipleship. How important discipleship is, and yet it's often just forgotten about, or misunderstood, and just left out of a Christian's life. It can't be. You don't want to just be a Christian. Jesus didn't say, go and make Christians. He said, go and make disciples. And that's something that is for my good, that is something that is for your good. And last week, we just began to look at the concept of 3D. Being a disciple of Christ, first and foremost... Being the disciple of another, secondly, and being a discipler, thirdly. And we'll look at these progressively. Last week, we dealt with the first one. Today's message, I think, is one of the most important messages you could probably hear for your Christian life. Even if you only got this bit right, things can go very well for you. I know that might sound like a big claim. But we're, we're talking about being the disciple of another, coming under authority. And for me, this messes up more lives than anything else. And I really mean that. Authority in the home, authority in the church, authority in the workplace. More Christians seem to get really messed up over this issue than any other issue I deal with. Seems to cause more pain, more confusion. And you'll see what I mean as we go through the day. You would never dream of joining the army without being aware of the authority structure. Anybody who joins the army would know that there's going to be a colonel and a captain and a lieutenant and whatever. But yet people come and they become Christians, they come into the church, and yet they never think of the importance of learning about the authority structures. We can cast it aside and and think it's not important. Well, Jesus didn't do that. You know, when Jesus was born, he didn't lean over the side of the crib and say, Hey Mary, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. (laughs) There was a lot more to it than that. And Christ went through a certain process. And it ended up in all authority being given to him. And we, likewise, have to come through a certain route. The same route as he did. It begins with God, a disciple of Christ. But it doesn't stop there. Now, At the risk of laboring the point, let me tell you folks, please listen to me because it's important. What I'm saying to you is this. The issue of authority seems to me to cause more pain in the church and in Christians' lives than any other thing. And if you're in any form of leadership, if you're a cell leader or a discipler, you will very quickly understand that Christians come to you more about authority problems than any other problem. A husband will come about his wife. She won't submit to me. We've got problems in our marriage. A wife will come to you about her husband. He's got no control over the home. He doesn't lead. A parent will come to you about their child. They're running wild. A child will come to you about the parent. They're dominating me. An employee, and this is very common, an employee will come about their workplace. I don't know what to do. Should I obey my boss? Should I not? And time after time, 
As you start to analyze the problems that so many Christians have, what you find the root of it is an understanding of how to work in biblical authority, how the whole systems work. And the sad thing is this, that many people don't quite know the right answer. They don't know whether I should correct my wife or should I be gracious. Should I correct my child and discipline them or should I be gracious? Should I obey my boss or not? And that leads to trauma. That leads to, you know, broken hearts and families. It leads to isolation in the workplace because Christians don't know clearly enough how to handle this topic of authority. Now, could I have my first slide, please? Take a look at this. Sorry, the next one. (laughs) Take a look at this. When the Bible talks about authority, it splits it into three areas and they're all very, very important for your life. It talks about the world, the home, and the church. You can't just deal with authority in the church. So what we'll do is take the advice of Christ, be discipled by Christ on this subject. Let's begin in Romans 13. And I'll read from verses 1 to 7. This is talking about authority in the world and how you should behave towards it. Romans 13 in verses 1 to 7. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against God. uh, uh, Is rebelling against what God has instituted. And and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear from the one in authority? Then do what is right. And he will command you, for he is the servant of God to do you good. So Paul here is writing to the Romans who have just come to Christ. They've just got saved. Listen carefully. (laughs) But for some reason, they don't seem to want to obey simple laws. They've just come to Christ. They've just got saved. And for some reason, salvation has had a funny effect on them. They think the rules that apply to everybody else... Don't apply to me. It's an abuse of grace, you see. Could I have my next list, please? Take a look at this. When, when, when God tells us to obey the authorities in the world, this is what he's largely talking about, if I can put some handles on it for you. He's talking about the government, about the taxman. Sorry, but yes, the taxman. He's talking about your employees. He's talking about the traffic warden. Uh-oh. He's talking about the police. When the Bible says obey the authorities in the world, it means everything that's not part of your home and the church. Everything else we must obey. But I've met many, as I say, believers who struggle with these things. I mean, take the government. When I first, there was a war between Ireland and England, you know, Ireland and Great Britain over the years, and there's a lot of, there was a lot of animosity there. When I first went to Dublin, we started a church there, and I was praying one night and just praying for leaders and I prayed for the Queen. Wow, I nearly caused World War III. What are you praying for the Queen for? I'm praying for the Queen. I prayed for the, you know, the guy in Wales. I prayed for the guy in Northern Ireland. I prayed for the, the countries and the leaders. We're supposed to pray for our leaders. We're commanded to pray for the leaders. That's a bad attitude in you. You have a rebellious attitude towards leadership full stop and it kind of unearths something that I, I found there in fact that's a big problem in the Republic of Ireland a deep-rooted problem so we are to obey 
The Bible says all earthly authorities, of course not unto sin, we don't sin to do that, but we do obey authorities in every way. You obey the tax man. Now, many of you, maybe some of you will be self-employed and you'll have to do a self-declaration, but there's many ways to evade tax, you know, and we must not get into that. Now, personally, I've, I, I have a tax consultant that I've worked with for many years because I need help because of different businesses I've been involved in. And that's helped me a lot. But over the years, I can tell you, I've had some phone calls saying, hey, if you do this, that and the other, you won't have to pay this. You know, and I've always been very clear to say, listen, I will pay. There's a difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion. Right? Tax avoidance is legal. That's why you seek help. And you, I don't want to pay tax. Do you? <laughs> I don't want to pay any tax if I could avoid it. I'm not seeking to pay tax. I will pay my taxes. And many, no, not many, four or five times over the last 10 years, say, I've had to talk over the phone and say, no, whatever I need to pay, I need to pay. And I want to pay it. But you'll, I know. But let's stick within the rules and play by the game, right? Play the, by the book. It's very easy in life to that someone could seem as if they're doing you a favor. Look, the rules that apply to society apply to me. And even more so as a Christian, but for some reason, when the grace of God reaches someone's life, they think, hmm, it's grace in every area. I can break the... That seems to me a little bit of what was happening to the Romans. I had a Romanian pastor, actually, come and, and say he wanted to meet me one day. He came and picked me up. He was one of our guys. And as we were driving along, I just happened to notice in his windscreen in Ireland, you need two discs, tax and insurance. You have to have them both displayed. As we're bombing down the street, I noticed no discs. And I said to him, where's your tax and insurance? He said to me, ah, God. God. I said, what do you mean God? God looks after me. I said, stop, pull over. Listen. Under no circum... What are you doing? God! Don't you know? No, you don't know. What are you doing? Actually, what had happened was the communist regime in Romania, you know, it, it, they had a lot of oppression in the churches. And the churches had to act undercover. They had to have the underground church. But what they did is they threw the baby out with the bathwater. And it, yes, you have to... When it comes to sin, I will not obey the world. If they tell me I'll, I can't pray, I'll pray. But when it comes to the other laws, I must obey them. And I had to explain to that guy, you're like these guys. Romanians, actually, that's where, that's where the name comes from. You, you know, that, it, it, it's got into your culture. And you cannot have that. So we obey the governing and ruling powers in whatever country we're in to the best of our ability. Jesus paid tax, you know that? Jesus paid tax. It's right there in Matthew's Gospel. He said, I pay my tax, and Peter, you need to pay yours. We obey the government, we obey the tax man, and we obey our employers. Or employers. In fact, as a believer, I should be the best employee that my workplace has ever had. I should be outstanding, exceptional. But so often, and I'm sorry to say this, folks, but it's just the truth. So often that is not the case. I once sat in a room with about six pastors and we were doing something and we needed to take on a solicitor. And one of the guys said, you know, we need to hire a solicitor. And just like that, two or three of the guys were just about to say the same thing. We don't want a Christian one. 
You don't want to hire a Christian solicitor. You won't get your money's worth. And I could see the consensus of opinion so fast was that a believer would want something for nothing. The believer probably would want the money and wouldn't do the work. You see? And that's a sad thing. And they were a group of leaders. And that comes from... It's an abuse of grace, friends. It's an abuse of grace. All my sins are washed away so I can park on a double yellow line. (laughs) All my sins are washed away so I don't have to fill out my tax return. It's an abuse, a misunderstanding of the grace of God that leads to believers often being worse employees. We should be the best employee in our workplace. More than that, we should be more excellent than that in the ministries that we have. Amen? Amen. So if that's a standard in your work, if you're employee of the month, well done. But I hope your ministry's at a higher level. Because otherwise I'm serving the world more than God. I sat in church once, a sizable church, and this guy got up and he was lazy. He wasn't doing his ministry well. He was very sloppy in his approach to God. And I was a little bit annoyed with him, annoyed with the way he was living. And he got up one night to give a testimony. And he took the mic and he talked about how he had been promoted, how his position was raised, his salary had gone up, and this, that, and the other. And he was, you know, the best thing since sliced bread and work. And, you know, amen, praise God. And everybody went. I remember sitting on, oh, I had to hold myself together. <laughs> I didn't clap. I remember thinking, you're a disgrace, my friend. We ask you to do ABC, and you don't care less about the church, about God, and you stand up and give a, a testimony about commendation in work. Well, I do not commend you. I don't commend you. Maybe your boss does, but I don't. So it's a- amen. Be a good employee. But as good an employee as you become, make sure that it's better I give to God. Amen? Amen. Make sure he gets you know, my first fruits. That's what it's about. The best of my strength. So authority in the world is not to be overlooked. Jesus didn't overlook it. And you know, we'll betide us if we do. Secondly, you've got authority in the home. And once again, as I say, so much pain. If you're married, listen closely. If you're not married, listen closely. And learn and bring this knowledge into any relationship you enter into. When the Bible talks about advice, about authority in a marriage, it gives two scenarios. They're both important. The first scenario it gives is when a a wife is saved and the husband isn't. And the next scenario it gives is when they're both saved. And God gives us clear advice how to behave in both situations. Let me take the first scenario. First scenario is when the wife is saved... And the husband is not. So common. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of Christian women around the world with unsaved husbands. You know that? The statistics are way overbalanced. So many women get saved first. And then they have the trial of leading their husband to Christ. Wow. Does this get messed up? Turn to 1 Peter. Take a look at this. It's a fantastic scripture. 1 Peter And chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 1 to 7. This is a piece of advice if the husband is not saved and the wife is. This is a piece of advice about how to win him over to the Lord. 
Look at this and tell your friends if they happen to be in that situation. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over. Look at the next few words. With what? Without words. See what men are like? (laughs) Win them over, but don't talk. Don't nag. Don't keep on. The one sure way to drive a man away from God is to talk to God about him. Right? Sorry, to talk to him about God. On and on and on. Nag, nag, nag. You see, friends, God built the man. God knows the man. God knows what will work with the man. And the woman thinks she does, but often does exactly the wrong thing. In nagging and nagging. Win him over, but try to do it without words. You know, at one point, we had five friends of ours, all women whose husbands weren't saved. And they would come and they would cry. I sat there, okay, tell me the story. What's happening with your husband? They would tell us this story. This one woman, actually, she was a close friend of Jeanette's. And when we first met her, she told us the story of her husband. Oh, he's so hard. He won't listen. He's never going to come to Christ. I said, okay. And actually, what we were doing at that time was we were fixing up a room in our church. And I said to her, do you know what? Her her husband was an unemployed carpenter and builder. I said, tell your husband, ask him would he help me for one week just to come and work with me and to do some work in in the building. And he said, yes. Her husband came down and Monday, like 8 o'clock, we start our work. And we work all day Monday. And I know he's not saved. And here we are in the church and I'm the pastor. Do you know what I told him about God? Tuesday. And he's coming in with his tools and his bags. And he's thinking at the back of his head, he's probably going to bring it up today. (laughs) And we start our work. Tuesday goes. What do I say about God? Not a word. Lord, if she won't do it, I'll do it. Wednesday comes. And we go through five days. In five days, there was only one occasion that God was ever mentioned. And that was when he said, do you know Joe being a common friend of ours? I said, yes, that's right. Joe got his hearing back. He was healed. He was stone deaf. Was healed in one of our meetings. That was it. About 10 words in the five days. Friday comes, packs his bags, his tools, said, thanks very much, Willie. He said, that's okay. Willie goes home. This is what he did. This is what his wife said. He walked into the house, put his tools down, got down on his knees, and began to weep on the floor. He looked up to her and said, what do I have to do to get saved? Just obey the book. She had nagged him and nagged him and nagged him. And the more she kept on in him, the further away he went. Do you know those five women who, when we took over that church, the five women who came to us to say, will you help with my husband? All five men were saved. One after the other. In every case, it was so simple. You just had to tell the women to do what Peter said. Shut up! Shut up! Just quiet! Bite your tongue and live such a godly life that he will be, he'll become jealous, actually. It's what God tried to do with Israel, right? Simple, but, but very, very effective. If you do this right, the man will keep his position. He will keep his authority within the home. 
He'll keep that position of respect. If you do it wrong, then everything goes wrong. And that's what I mean about having to go into home after home where there's, you know, such pain and such division and such confusing over authority. So that's the first scenario. And the Bible warns you about it. If the wife is saved and the husband is not. The second scenario, you can find these in Corinthians. I've given you the scriptures on your notes. The second scenario is where both are saved. And in this incidence, everything changes, really. In this case, the man becomes, the, the, you know, the, the bulk of the responsibility is on the man. And we've looked at this here as a church several times. Remember what we read in Ephesians. Remember what Paul says. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. What's the next line? Husbands, love your wives. Now remember the, 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 the situation. Paul is using a Jewish style of writing, hyperbole, where the second statement is the crowning statement, where the second statement is greater than the first. And the most important thing in every home is not that the, that the wife submits to the husband. I'll say it again. <laughs> the most important thing in every home is not that the wife submits to the husband. Yes, it's important. But it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that the husband loves his wife. You see, a woman who is, feels loved by her husband, no problem with submission. It's not an issue. You want to go here? We'll go there. You want to do No problem. But the whole issue starts when love is absent. Not only is he to love her, but the man is commanded to love his wife as Christ loves the church. How's that then? What did Christ do for the church? He forgives the church. And a husband is to love his wife that way. To forgive her. Oh, but you don't understand. She threw a breadboard at me. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> you are to forgive her. You are to lead her. Right? I've worked with women leaders for years and years. And so few, so sad, you know. Really is. I mean, seriously, folks. I've seen it again and again and again. Where the women are carrying the cross... And the men just don't seem to make it in so many marriages. But it's out of order. It's out of kilter and just breaks down and breaks down. He is to forgive her. He's to lead her. He's to love her. He's to be the moral leader in that home. And just to recap, actually, look at Genesis just quickly. Genesis chapter 3. Remember the two great warnings given to husbands and wives. They're both in Genesis 3 and they're both great Genesis 3 verse 6 is the warning given to every man about his wife. And Genesis 3 verse 16 is the warning given to every woman about her husband. Genesis 3 verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. Friends, but she didn't fall. Okay? Okay? She's still in good standing with her husband and in good standing with God because the man is the covering of the woman. She took some and she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it and then the eyes of them both were opened. God gave the man the responsibility to cover the woman, right? And he was to forgive her. She just shouldn't have took that fruit. But I will forgive you and you will live under my covering. Right? Now, Jeanette, could you come here one second, please? 
We've done this before and we'll do it again. Remember the situation. I know the roof is bad, folks, but it's getting pretty ridiculous. <laughs> the woman lives under the cover of her husband. Now, you see, if Adam hadn't sinned, he could have forgiven her, he could have instructed her, he could have, should have discipled her, and she would have been fine. But you know what happened? Adam sinned. And then down goes the woman. In fact, when a husband sins, it's the woman that gets it. Do you know where she gets it? In her mind. Her thinking starts to get all screwed up. Everything's wrong. The emotions start to go. We have not had a perfect marriage, especially in our first two years. And when I would be out of kilter, when I had literally lost, I'd taken Jeanette's cover away because of my behavior. Do you know what happens, Jeanette? She gets a sore on her leg. She gets a little red spot that rises and starts to swell on her leg. The only time it does on her is when I'm not right. Isn't that amazing? How's your leg at the moment? All right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Keep the cover in place. Keep that cover strong. Thank you. Do you know, you go into house after house. And I go in, you meet a husband or something. They say, come and talk to me. Marriage is not right. Things have fallen apart. It's good to talk to the woman first. See how she is. And if her mind is all over the place, if her emotions are all up and down, you need to call the husband. Where's the umbrella? Where's the cover? Because this is not right. There's something seriously wrong about the cover being provided in this home. Now, it's not popular, this sort of thing today. You know, everybody wants to be equal. It's all about equality. Women are not equal. <laughs> Women are not equal with men. Amen. Whoa, look at that scene. Women are not equal with men. Amen. I had to drag that out of you then. Let, 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 let me clarify that. In terms of the value that God places upon you, absolutely equal. In terms of your importance as a human being, absolutely equal. In terms of the love that God has for you, absolutely equal. In terms of authority, not equal. Okay? Not equal. And this is a sticking point. You've got to take that pill, swallow it, and digest it. Make it part of you. Right? Make submission part of your life. It leads to joy. That's the, that's the outcome. But Christ, right, right there in your Bible, Christ is the head of the husband, and the husband is the head of the wife, and together they're to look after the children. Now you say, why is this important for discipleship? I'll tell you why it's important, because everything is built on this. How can you, husband, disciple someone else if you can't look after your wife? Right? How can you, wife, teach others to be submissive in their marriages if you're not submissive in yours? So that's why Jesus starts with the world. And he says, look, if you're not going to pay your tax, then don't start talking about discipleship. If you're going to cheat and swindle the world and then come in here, this is not going to work. So Jesus takes Peter through the tax system. And Peter here talks to us about how to run a godly home. You know, line upon line, precept upon precept. Jesus didn't lean over the crib. And say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He didn't. He had also to go through a process and to show us and teach us the way that we too should go. I repeat, I, I could not number. They are beyond number. The amount of pain and troubles that people have in their homes. 
because of a bad authority structure. So look at Genesis 3 verse 6. That's the warning to the man. And Genesis 3 verse 16 is the warning to the woman. God, remember, she's the easier connecto. The woman is a, a superior strength spiritually to the man. And that w- that's the way she was made. But the result of the fall, the judgment of the fall, was that her position was lowered, if you like, and she was put under the authority of the man because she sinned. Okay? The structure changed when Eve sinned. The result of the judgment was from this point on, you will be under the authority of the man. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, the second part of that verse It says, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. But it doesn't say that, folks. You know what it says, right? Your desire will be to rule over your husband, but he will rule over you. So Eve knows, as so many women do, knows that they're a person of superior strength, knows that they have strength spiritually in many ways greater than their husband. And that leads to all sorts of of, of troubles and wars until you go to peace with God and peace within yourself. You begin to see how far-reaching authority is. And if we get it wrong, how catastrophic it can be. So, first there's authority in the world and how you and I relate to that. I've got to obey the book. Secondly, Secondly, there's the authority in my home. And then the best bit is now. Hebrews chapter 13, please. (coughs) Excuse me. Hebrews chapter 13. Please get a Bible and find this scripture because I absolutely love this scripture. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. I had this as a word from the Lord once. God spoke this to me and it's really helped my life. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Obey your leaders. We're talking about authority in the church now. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. An awful lot of turning pages. Have you got it? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work may be a joy and not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. I just, and I really love that scripture. See this, see the third one here. Obedience in the church. This is just so, so important for your life, for your happiness, for your joy, right? Someone gave me a bunch of tapes once, but five tapes wrapped up in an elastic band and said, listen to them. And I didn't. I put them on a shelf somewhere and years went by. And one day, just out of curiosity, I put one of their tapes on and it it was just excellent. The stuff on those tapes was, 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 was brilliant. It was a woman teacher. And she was going through something I had never, ever perceived or seen. Started in the Old Testament and she went through person after person after person who had not obeyed their leaders. And the point of the teaching series was to show this. There is structural authority in the church and there is spiritual authority. And they're very different. But woe betide the person who doesn't obey both. Let me explain what I mean. In every church, you're going to have people who are busting with authority, spiritual authority. They're easy to obey, right? Simple, no problem. But in every church, there are also people with positional or structural authority. They will not be oozing, you know, power. It's not their nature. It's not their type. 
but they have a place in the church. And the teaching series was, was, was basically going through the Bible and showing you what happens to those who disobey leaders. Gosh, shocking, <laughs> shocking. This is what happens. You know, when you sin, God's a gracious God. He will forgive you. He will restore you. He's slow to anger. And he will woo you back and help you through his goodness to come to repentance. One week, two weeks, three weeks, three years, four years. God is good. But you see, when you disobey leaders, bang. And through that series, I actually saw she gave example after example after example. When it was disobedience to a leader, wow. In one case, the ground opened up, remember? The ground opened up. Didn't even get a chance to say sorry. Boom! Gone! Down into the earth. Burned up. Remember? How dare you speak to Moses like that? Gone! In the bat of an eye. And the point of the series was this. God is gracious. Incredibly gracious. About sin in a general sense. But there's one thing in the eyes of God that seems to get swifter judgment than anything else. And it's the third part of our study. It's disobedience to your human leaders in the Lord. Disrespect towards them. This church, we've got you know, loads of people in positional roles, people that we put in. You must respect them, and you do. It's fantastic here. But we must respect those in all positions in the church because disobedience at any level is, is just totally unacceptable to God. We had a major problem with this in, in Ireland. Sorry to use that as an example so often, but it's the biggest part of my life. I spent 10 years in that. And I give you, let me hear this. We're overseen worldwide by a man called Rick Seward. Some of you know him. For the last 30 years, he's from Singapore. For the last 30 years, he, he's planted, I think they're up to about 2,500 churches around the world, 250,000 odd members, all coming out of a mother church there in Singapore. It's fantastic work. Tommy Burnett, America's favorite pastor, some of you will know him. Tommy Burnett recently described Rick as the, 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 the greatest force for missions alive on earth. The greatest single force for missions. That's some introduction. He was coming to Dublin. So I was excited, got our church ready, met him at the airport, carry his bags, come in, anything I can do for you? No, I'm okay. And the meeting time comes, you know. And he's going to preach. I get up there. You got water? You got, is, is there anything else you need, Pastor? No, I'm fine. Thanks. Okay. I turned around to look at my congregation. And I just caught a few expressions. Creep. <laughs> Creep. Didn't say it. But it was... Do you know, I, I suddenly realized something. I thought, my oh my. I could take you from your seat and put you in a playground. If that's what you think, have you no concept of honor? Have you no concept of honoring the prophet and thus honoring God? Have you no understanding? Well, you know what? I really don't care tuppence what you think of me because I will serve him. I will serve him every time he comes in. And I will care what you call me because there's something much more important than you realize. Because the door to my future is through people. Through people. Through human beings. With loads of faults. I must go through people. That's why there's a whole discipleship process. But they didn't understand that. 
And I, you know, I often think you wind the clock forward. That was about 10 years ago, I suppose. Wind the clock forward 10 years. I wonder where those people are now. And I wonder what happened in their lives. You can virtually predict it. Hop from church to church. Relationship problem after relationship problem. And all because of a, a misunderstanding. A lack of knowledge about how important structural authority is. And how important it is to respect authority within the church. Or, as I say, you can get swift judgment from God. Now, it, goes, it needs to be said, we as a church are growing very, very fast. And in order to cope with that, we need to put many people in lots of new roles. Roles will change, so get used to it. You may have been doing this for one year, you're going to do that for one year. But as a group, and this goes for any church out there, you need to accept anybody in any position. Look, if you broke your arm and you turned up in casualty, and you sit in your little cubicle and in comes a doctor... And he assesses you and he says, okay, I know what's wrong, just stay there. A few minutes go by and another doctor comes in. This is the doctor that's going to actually do the work on your arm. And he comes in and you say, oh, hang on, where's, where's my doctor? Well, actually, I'm going to do you. No, 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 no. I want that same man back. You would never dream of doing that. Because you would understand in a hospital there's going to be loads of doctors. And you're going to go from discipline to discipline, from area to area. It's exactly the same in the church. We need many pastors because we've got many people. We need many leaders. We need cell leaders. All kinds of people to come up and they will not be perfect. As far it is, as it is possible with you, submit to the authorities over you. Right? Do you, know, do you know one thing, friends? Listen carefully. When a cell member starts to look at their cell leader and disrespect them, that's dangerous. They start to look and think, I've been saved 10 years. This leader here has only been saved five. I know this, that and the other. They don't know that. Do you know what? I could jump over their head. How dare they try to lead me? Who? And you, I tell you, the devil will play games with your mind. And you'll end up so proud that you'll say to yourself, ha, I could jump over her head. I could jump over his head. And do you know what happens? They jump over yours. That's what happens. When that attitude, the Bible says, have this attitude in you that was in Christ. When that attitude gets into anybody and they disrespect their leader, they're in big trouble. I have had more calls on this subject from pastors than any other thing. And do you know why? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because they see that I, I've never had problems with authority, folks. Do you know that? have lots of problems, but I have never had a problem with authority in any church I've led. Why? Why? Exactly. Because I submit. When you submit to your leader, doesn't matter whether you respect them or not. When you submit to your leader, something happens to you. You change as a person. God puts his own authority, his stamp on you. And all of a sudden you're different. And people know you're different. And they step back. They sense God. But you must be under authority to have authority. You have to pay the price. And because people don't do that, they run into loads of trouble in churches. I'd never done this before, but I got a phone call from a number of families in one church. Not the pastor this time. But a number of families saying, we need to meet you. We need to talk. We've got problems. And I would never go behind a pastor's back, but I knew this church. And I knew that if I didn't meet these guys, he was going to have no church. So I met them privately. 
got into the house and they start on about the pastor. Oh, he's this, he's that. We can't follow this man. Structural, you see. Complaints, complaints, complaints. I remember saying to those guys, do you know what? You're at a junction in your life, a crossroads. And what you do now is extremely important. Because what, what, what they actually had was an opportunity to see a leader grow. That was it. God has given you a pastor, a young new pastor. And you can make him or you can break him. You're not perfect. Why are you demanding him to be? He's going to make loads of mistakes. Why not look at him and say, do you know what? I'm going to help this man make it every effort. Obey your leaders and be submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as ones who must give account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. Because what advantage is that to you? Right? And that was the the simple advice I gave those people. Obey your leader. I know he's not perfect. But stick with him. Help to make him into the man of God that God wants him to be. Be part of the process. Be gracious. Love him through it all. And then in 10 years time, as he grows, he'll be able to help you. And you'll look back and say, you know, we built this church together. Amen. Amen. And that's the attitude that I see in Christ. That's the, towards us. That's the attitude that Peter is, you know, espousing here. And that's the one you and I should have, particularly in terms of authority. Could I have the worship back, please? So first in, your, in, the, first in the world, folks, assess yourself in your workplace. Do you obey the authorities there? Secondly, in your home, if there is any issues in that, I ask you to put them right this morning, or at least pray on them, or come and talk to us about them. And lastly, authority in the church, to obey all those that God puts over us structurally. Please stand with us a moment. Thank you. Hallelujah. Let's close your eyes and stay focused on what we have just looked at. God, I want to begin with the world and ask you in any way if we are disrespectful to the ruling authorities, even to simple things like traffic wardens or or, or silly things like that. Help us get it right. Help us be lights in a dark world. And so we commit this morning to obeying all earthly authorities as far as it is possible with us. And God, we lift our homes and our marriages, our mums and our dads and our relationships within the home, within our families. Help us to be obedient children, to be good husbands, to be submissive wives. And Lord, for authority in the church, we honour you and we honour our leaders. And forgive us if we get this wrong or we're disrespectful. And we make a fresh commitment today to embrace biblical authority. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.